0: The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And They said to him, He will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, have you any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in for the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes, for he was stripped for work, and sprang into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, They saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I heard a preacher was uh, preaching an Easter sermon one time, and he was referring to the tomb in which Jesus uh, laid, and he asked the congregation this question. Why do you think the angel rolled away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? And one little boy raised his hand. And he looked at him, and the little boy said, To let Jesus out. (laughs) And the preacher said, No, not really. It was to let people in. The tomb was empty. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Well, last Sunday, Father Chris set the stage on what occurs at baptism. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own. So the question is, what happens next? What happens next? As baptized Christians, you are called to a lifelong spiritual journey with the one who loves you, God, the one who has redeemed you, the one who has a plan and purpose for your life, which brings up the term obedience, doesn't it? That's a hard word for us. But we want to be in control, don't we? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's a hard truth, isn't it? You know, as a child grows up, it's appointed to the parents to care for its needs to love the child and to teach the child right from wrong. And as we as children, as we grow up and mature, what we do is we react to the natural world, the things of the natural world, don't we? As a child of God, as we grow up as a child of God, it is now God who loves you unconditionally. It is God who supplies your needs. It is God who instructs you in the ways of righteousness. And as you mature in the Christian faith, are instructed to to walk by faith and not by sight because you see God is spiritual and we act in him on a supernatural way don't we as we mature in the faith we react to the supernatural world the things we can't see that's why it's so important for us to mature in the Christian faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And that's hard to do. The good news, though, good news is God has given the church the body of Christ as the means in which to accomplish this task. The task of walking by faith and not by sight. We have been uh, adopted into the family of God in order to experience a personal relationship with the living God. The church gives you doctrinal truths to believe. We say the statement of faith every Sunday, the Nicene Creed, right? The church gives you moral commandments to obey. The church gives you holy communion to strengthen you spiritually. A week without holy communion, you disservice yourself because that's how we're strengthened to go out into the world because we deal on a supernatural basis. We gather our strength from the one who lives in us. As the church, we are a body of people sent on mission, right? Remember what we said at the first? Sent on mission together in community for regular worship and encouragement. So that's an important part. We we encourage each other, particularly when things are not going well. When someone's lost a job or someone has a bad report, uh, medical draw together, we encourage each other in the Lord and that's where we grow and mature in the faith so what happens next well the rector has appointed the Sundays in Easter to be a preaching series on the preparing for Pentecost the person, presence and power of the Holy Spirit So now I want to to turn our attention to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And I I want to use John chapter 15, the parable of of the true vine. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now the word abide is, is, is particularly important in this. To abide refers to an intimate knowledge and relationship with someone who loves you and knows you better than you know yourself. Let me say that again. To abide refers to an intimate knowledge and an intimate relationship with someone who knows you better than you know yourself. So here we have, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual person and I love this. When I was uh, teaching uh, religion at All Saints School for many years, I'd come to this and what I'd do in the morning, I, I'd take a branch off of a bush, you know, nice and green with berries on it, and then I'd pick one up off the ground dead looking and I would take it to the the school and I'd be preaching on this and and I'd ask the students I'd say which would you rather be holding up the vine with the red berries or the dead branch see I'm very visual and and this is a visual because you see Jesus says I am the vine and the life of the vine which is the Holy Spirit Flows through the branch to do what? Produce the fruits. And in this case, it's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you get this now. Jesus is the vine. You are the branch. The life of the vine flows through the branch. You, me, and it produces the works of God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit. Does that make sense? Do you see that? I mean, you got to see it to really understand. it. <laughs> and by the way, do you know your your spiritual gifts? They're they're not always the same. I, I think I read not too long ago. I think you did a series on spiritual gifts. Knowing your spiritual gifts, am I wrong? Starts this week. It's oh, it starts this week. Oh, well, this is a good introduction. Then. <laughs> Come to that, it's important to know your spiritual gifts. Otherwise you don't participate <laughs> in them, right? If your spirit, one of your spiritual gifts is teaching and you don't help out at CTR in teaching, then you're missing out. Everybody else is missing out. So today we have a perfect example of the parable of the vine. When we read about Saul of Tarsus meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he is radically transformed. Now, it's important to understand, uh, back then, uh, people had two names. They had uh, either a Greek or Latin name, and then they had their Jewish name. And so Paul's name was Sheol Paulus, or Saul, as we know, Uh, He was named after King Saul. (laughs) So uh, so Saul then, Saul the Pharisee, persecuted Christians because of their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And that uh, was offensive to him, it was an offense against Judaism. Because you see, Paul, as a Pharisee, he was teaching strict Orthodox religion, so to speak. And if this Jesus, who is the Messiah, is true, then look at Paul. Everything that he's done and known up to that point is wrong. And he wasn't going to let that happen. So he was going to persecute the ch- the church. But something happened on the road. Jesus appears to Saul and speaks to him, and and he says, why are you persecuting me? Did you get that? Jesus is saying, why are you persecuting me? Well, he's not, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the people whom Jesus loved, who were filled with the Holy Spirit. are you persecuting me so that tells us as we treat each other we're treating the Lord as we love each other unconditionally we're loving Jesus but following his conversion experience which includes baptism his life is transformed by the presence and the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit The zeal he once had on persecuting the Christians was now channeled into bringing others into the knowledge and love of Christ. What a transition. Supernatural. That's not something that's happened naturally. He didn't just all of a sudden come to say, well, you know what, I I think I'm wrong. No. Radical transformation in behavior as a direct result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who witnessed to Paul who he really is. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes to explain this transformation. And I, and I love this one because I want you to listen to it because I think it is the definition of a Christian. Right? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that? That to me is what I call the definition of a Christian. I have been crucified with Christ. You see, Paul identifies his baptism into Christ as through the waters of baptism he was buried in the waters and joined with Christ on the cross to die for his sins Jesus died for his sins we were placed into his body there on the cross because it's not anything that we could do. We could not atone for our sins. Only Christ has come to do that. So we, were, Paul says we were joined on the cross. We died with Christ. And it is Christ who lives in me. Wow. It is Christ who lives in me. You see, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ now lives in you and in me through the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The life of Jesus Christ now lives in you through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Those are powerful words. And the truth is, now, Paul presents us with a spiritual battle that each one of us uh, face every day. It's a spiritual battle that you and me face on a daily, sometimes moment by moment. To choose whether to live our life as if nothing has changed, and thereby we're in control. (coughs) Or to choose to embrace a new life in Christ, where the Holy Spirit directs our life. That's what we face each day, sometimes moment by moment, right? <coughs> to choose either to live my life like I want to, or to desire the things of God, desire the things that God has for me. And see that that is a word that that is important to me. Desire. What do you desire? Do you desire to be rich? Do you desire to be famous? You see, all those are empty. God has a plan and purpose for each and every one of you. And you see, when you start maturing in the faith, you start seeing God's plan. And I want that. Right? I want that. To heck with the money and the fame and the new cars and big homes. I want Jesus because he wants me and he wants to work through me. Talks about maturity. So when ta- Paul Saul then takes on his Greek name, Paul, and becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, he becomes instrumental in changing the face of the new church, doesn't he? <coughs> thereby transforming the lives of generations of people who were to follow. And I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people. When I was 30 years old, I had a conversion experience. Not like Paul. I didn't see him. I didn't hear him. But I experienced the presence, a holy presence in my life. And it's amazing because I lived my first 30 years of my life, (coughs) I would say as a nominal Christian, (coughs) and I had no idea, no inkling at all ever, (laughs) it didn't cross my mind to be a priest. just wasn't in the cards, never even thought about it. But he changed my heart, he gave me a new vision. But it took a while. It took a while. (laughs) It took about 15 years, actually. But when that happened, the first thing I did, the first stop I made was to the church, to the church. Remember the church? We are a body of people who gather in community for regular worship and encouragement, (coughs) where we mature and grow in the faith that's where I came to the church. And I had God direct me to a a godly priest who I told him the experience and and I said, I don't know what to do with this. I mean, I was on fire. I mean, for the first time in my life I really sat down and I read through the Bible. I mean, read through the Bible. Not just piecemeal. It was almost as I was So to speak, and he he gave me this advice, and I I want you to hear what I'm about to say because it's important. (laughs) The advice he gave me, he said, "I think that first you need to live out your late life." He said some of the most well, some of the most important people, (laughs) he said, in his parish are people who are involved in their lay ministry. They're living out their life because lay ministry, just think about it, the, the priesthood, or the ordained people are about, what, 2%? And lay folks in the church are 98%. So who best to go out into the world to witness to the gospel than lay people? So he said, you know, become a lector, uh, get on the vestry, do, uh, join the altar care, whatever it is that you, Become active in the church and see what God is is leading you to do. And I did. I was at St. Mark's uh, as a lay person in Arlington uh, under the tutelage of now Bishop Keith Ackerman. He was the rector at the time. And I did that. I was teaching Bible study and, you know, just doing everything I could do, felt like God was calling me to do. And one day, <coughs> Father, or Bishop Ackerman, Father Keith, Papa Keith <laughs> came to me and he said, you know what, there's an opportunity that I think that you would enjoy, and that is that there's a psychiatric hospital, <laughs> not that I needed it, <laughs> there's a psychiatric hospital in Arlington called CPC Millwood, <coughs> across from Arlington uh, Memorial, and uh, they're looking for some kind of religious outreach. And he said, I think that you would be good to go and say morning prayer there. All right, sure. So I met with the folks and we arranged. And so Sunday morning, I'd go say uh, morning prayer, just straight out of the prayer book to anybody who would come as a library. And uh, and then I'd go to St. Mark's and teach <coughs> adult study and then, you know, mass. And I loved being around the altar uh, as a subdeacon Uh, I was placed I loved to serve the Lord and and so I started doing it and uh, I'd have from 15 to 18 patients and we'd do strict morning prayer (coughs) but then one morning as I was driving to CBC I heard a word and this is this is called one of the gifts of the spirit is a word of knowledge and the word I heard was healing and I said, wait a minute Lord <laughs> I'm not a priest, I can't pray for these people and so I went and did the thing so weeks went by after hearing the word healing you know like a lot of us, it's, oh okay alright All right, Lord, I give in So one morning I went and I said, we're going to say morning prayer, but if anybody would like to stay afterwards for uh, prayers for healing, uh, you may do so. So we finished morning prayer and not one soul left. And so that was a ministry that began that God was doing marvelous work. (laughs) There was great psychological and uh, spiritual healing that, that was taking place. Praise be to God. And uh, you know, coming from morning prayer, <laughs> and uh, so I was—I did that for five years. But in the second year, um, there was this uh, sweet young girl who was the Sunday receptionist. She was probably late twenty, maybe early thirties, and she stopped me one morning and, and she said, "Would you, would you pray for me?" I, I'm having surgery this next week, and uh, so I said, "Well, let me do morning prayer, and I'll come out." So I came out, and she said, "Ever since I was a young girl, I've had poor circulation problems in my legs, and they'd go numb and, and they would tingle." And uh, and she said, "I've had surgeries before, and I you know, I just can't face it again." She said, "I'm going tomorrow for X-rays." <coughs> And she said, would you pray for God to heal me? And so (coughs) being human, I'm looking at the clock, and, and you know, I've got five minutes to get to St. Mark's. I've got people waiting for me, right? So we said a quick prayer. No thunder, nothing. And so the next Sunday I come, and she wasn't there. And then the following Sunday I came, and and she was there. and 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 I said, well, how did the surgery go? said, I didn't have surgery. And she said, I'll, I'll tell you later. And so <clears throat> I do morning prayer and I come back out. And she said, the doctors took x-rays on Monday. And he came out and he said, this can't be your legs. And he held up another x-ray that had already been taken previously. And there were things there that weren't there before. I, I'm not medical and I can't even explain that. But God healed her completely. That's not the best thing. <laughs> you see, the first words out of her mouth, she said, I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. And you know what? She was right. <laughs> That's what we call God's grace. Of course, I didn't agree with her. <laughs> but she was right. You see, she went on to tell me that she was uh, had left the church as a teenager and hadn't really been back. But now she was on fire. She was on fire. God had touched her and made himself present to her in a real tangible way. (coughs) That's not the end of the story. The best part, in my opinion, is that she started telling her co-workers what had happened. She was praising God was making Jesus real to the people that she worked with. So much so that there was one technician back there, a young man who was uh, recovering an alcoholic. And they started, she was starting witnessing to him. And within a year, they got married. You see, that what happened was nothing that I had to do anymore. I I just was, I was present with her. I was bringing Jesus present with her, so to speak. And healing is like dropping a stone in water. And And it waves out. See, that was the important part. It wasn't that she isolated and I got a healing, thanks God, that's it. No. She praised Jesus. Brought two people who were lost together. You see, obedience led to miracles. God had a plan. We just had to be there to work out the plan. You know, being a witness, that's what we're called also to do, to witness, isn't it? It's like there's a twofold thing about witnessing. One is if you witness a car accident but the other witness is if you're called to court to testify to what you saw. Do you see that? It's a twofold. Something that has happened to you and you witness to someone else and then they witness to someone else. It's marvelous what God has planned. As long as we're obedient We're in that plan. and it's a marvelous place to be. And you see, that's when you start walking by faith and not by sight. And it takes a long time, well, it took a long time for me (laughs) to understand that. But once you really grab a hold of that understanding, then you're free because it's not anything that you're doing. You're just the branch. you see that? It's God and it's His work and His plan. And as long as we say, yes, Lord, here I am, we're in there. So let me encourage you. Let's encourage each other to discover what God has planned for you and for this church and to get excited about it. it's God's work. Just remember, Jesus is the vine and you're the branch and it is the power of the, the life of the vine flowing through you that produces God's work. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, take heart and know when God begins a good work in you, He will bring it to completion. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah.